0: Welcome to All Write in Sin City, a podcast about writers and writing in the Windsor Detroit region.
1: Your podcasters today are Irene Moore Davis, author, educator, and local historian,
0: Sarah Jarvis, former bookseller, publishing rep, and literary festival chair, and me, Kim Conklin, Windsor based writer and filmmaker.
2: Our featured guest today is Peter Hrastovic. Born and raised in Windsor, Ontario, Peter Hrastovic is the author of two books of poetry, In Lieu of Flowers and Sidelines. He was also a contributor to the writing project Because We Have All Lived Here. Peter practices law, advocates for his community, and embraces the joys of grandparenthood with his wife, Denise. Welcome, Peter.
3: Thank you very much for having me. Honour and privilege to be here.
2: Well, it's wonderful to have you here, and I also know how much you volunteer for literary arts in Windsor, so that's appreciated as well.
3: Everybody so, has to do their part.
2: Yeah, <laughs> yeah, we try. So, do you remember a time that you didn't write poetry? How did poetry find you?
3: Uh, it, I, I probably it was uh, maybe as a toddler, <laughs> but poetry kind of found my way uh, into my life because my my parents uh, were very uh, very artistic by nature. My dad is a a poet in the Croatian language or was a poet passed away now as as my mother uh, but there was always music art uh, books in our house and uh, and my parents uh, constantly read to me and they'd read me uh, verse in Croatian primarily because that was technically my my first language uh, we all spoke Croatian at home even though uh, I You know, I I learned English along the way, of course, in school and in the street, but uh, my parents always maintained our Croatian culture at home. And I was, I'm very thankful for them for doing that. So poetry was a very, very large part of it. And I just, I loved Dr. Zeus as a kid who didn't, you know, Uh, and uh, you know, those are the kind of stories that, you know, the teachers would read to us and other forms of verse. So it uh, became very much a part of my life and I started dabbling in it and, and, and here I am. So...
0: Well, congratulations on your second or your third book of poetry. Thank you. Mm -hmm. And we also happen to know that you are well known for your work on the stage. Um, (laughs) Did did this book kind of come about as maybe you were moving some of that creative energy into poetry again that you were putting on the stage for a while during the pandemic?
3: Well, I often tell people that I haven't decided what I want to do uh, when I when I grow up, I guess I haven't grown up yet. Uh, so I just I like embracing a lot of things. And uh, uh, theater has always been a part of my life, uh, you know, uh, through grade school and high school. Uh, early part of university, uh, I, I kind of stopped it, put it on, on uh, uh, an arrest to it while I was busy, you know, raising a family and starting a career and doing all those things that, you know, young parents do. And uh, I got back into theater again because of my youngest, uh, Aaron uh, who, uh, who was a BFA grad from the university of Windsor, but he fell in love with theater theater at early, early age and got involved in community theater. And I kind of resurrected sort of my, uh, uh my amateurish career, uh, in that, uh, in that phase, but, but writing has always been, uh, in and out of my life. And, uh, my father had told me, he said, you know, uh, uh work gets in the way of a writing career. Uh, you know, you can be a full-time writer and do that, but, but there are other things in life as well too. So he said, you know, try to find some balance and uh, that certainly I took a page out of his book. That's what he did. And, uh, and uh, as a result uh, you know, uh, there was always scraps of poetry all over the house and different, you know, pads of paper and, uh, and the Hillroy notebooks around that I would fill with poetry. And uh, I actually came across a lot of these over the years and some of those older poems you know, revisited, made their way into the books and so on. There's things that I wrote 20, 25 years ago that probably will never make it into a book, but but it's there. So it always has been a part of my life. And sometimes, you know, just driving down the street, uh, I'll come up with a phrase or an idea, you know, by looking at something and I'll even call it into my office and leave a voicemail to myself so I can write it down later. <laughs> and I've got a lot of those notes at my office as well, too. To say that it's, 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 uh, a part of my essence absolutely along with all those other things and i just embrace the arts i have a firm belief that uh that um that art you know has to be embraced by all of us because uh, it is s- certainly in our nature and uh and uh, certainly poetry uh, has that uh that uh that quality to it because it's so immediate it's so compact uh, it allows you to sort of focus on on certain ideas and uh, you can take something away, uh, you know, by reading just one poem a day. Uh, so I always in- encourage people like, you know, apple a day, a poem a day. Why not? So,
0: any of those poems that you brought back from years ago, can you think of what one of the subject matter was of one of them, or one of those ideas that stuck with you?
3: A lot of them are memory poems. A lot of them are poems uh, that, that that deal with things that that happened to me as an adolescent, uh, things that happened to me, uh, you know, uh, you know, as a as a a would-be baseball player at my, my old haunt Mitchell Park. Uh, You know, the, uh, some of the, uh, the lads I used to hang out with, my friends from high school, Uh, you know, there's always something that sort of comes up that, that, that gives, uh, uh, gives me a sense of, 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 of reaching to the past, but at the same time, looking at it from, from kind of the, the uh, revisionary post of today, as they say, not changing history, but looking at, at at that history, that time in my life, in a way that kind of gives it more meaning, or gives it some sense. You know, you wonder why things happen in your life, and sometimes by looking at it from a from a from a from a different perspective, you gain a better understanding and 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 a, and a better appreciation as to as to why things happen
1: say as someone who follows your social media accounts (laughs) I'm thrilled with all of the coverage the constant coverage of your interactions with the lads from high school I love that you're still hanging out and having a good time and and being good people so my question is you've published with Black Moss Press before how have your interactions with the editing process changed do you find that each process is different for every new book
3: oh unquestionably uh I had uh I had, uh, my first editor of my first book was, uh, one by the name of Marie Jeanette, uh, who actually works in my wife's accounting, uh, you know, firm now, just ironically, yeah, how things, uh, you know, you know, change and, um, that work with Marie segwayed to my working with uh, with uh, Marty Gervais and Black Moss Press in his book publishing practicum. And all of a sudden I had a whole bunch of students, you know, editing, you know, my work. And that was interesting. And that's a great experience uh, because it's 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 more so for the students than for the writer, because they learn how to edit, you know, uh, and publish and promote a, a, a book. And a lot of them go into uh, into uh, book publishing as a result of that, or some form of, of communication, uh, you know, media, you know, a foray, uh, you know, along the lines because of their experience. Um, and this most recent one was, was a combination of, of different people looking at at, uh, at at the poetry, including my my wife Denise. You know, she actually looked at some of my work and said, well, what, "You know, you might want to change this or think about this and that sort of thing." And and uh, and, uh, and 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 the self editing you do. But the one thing I've always recommend to writers, though, don't be afraid to have someone look at your work and 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 comment and look at it from from a point of view of of really good, solid critical thinking because that's what makes you a better writer. You know, uh, there, there are some people and I've encountered some writers who say, I don't want anybody to look at my stuff or tell me w- what to write. I says, they're not telling you what to write. They're telling you how you can improve your writing, you know, and improvement is is to me is positive change. Uh, and it could be just, you know, one word or, or you know, something that, that, you know, could be a little bit, you know. Um, say cliche. I had Maeve Keating, who's a fabulous poet, look at some of my work in this this uh, selection. You know, at the outset, and and she would point out. She says, you just might be a little bit too cliche Peter. So think about this line. And when I look at it and I think about it, you know, she's absolutely right. You know, and then you come back and you revisit it, and you sort of take a little bit something away to give it a more sort of cleaner look, but at the same time, you know, it, it's it's a little more pensive as a result of of the changes that you make. So so by all means. By all means, the whole idea of, of editing is improving the writer does Margaret Atwood said a long time ago, you know, thank God for spell check and computers, because that was the, her first biggest problem was, <laughs> was spelling. Uh, but she said, she said the same thing to a bunch of young writers I heard in interview say that, you know, you have to let the editors do their job because they're going to make you a better writer.
1: I know you're a member of a really avid uh, book club of readers who are very ardent about reading and, and uh, processing lots of different kinds of literature. How much of an effect has that had on your writing and your self editing?
3: Well, I think unquestionably when you're listening to people, uh, you know, in say in a book club, like one of the ones I belong to, you know, uh, you put me in the bottom rung of the ladder. These are very accomplished uh they, they call it the gentleman's book club because it happens to be all men in the club. I didn't start the club, but I joined it. But, but that being said, uh, they're, they're all like uh, professional uh, academics and, and very, very strict, uh, you know, you know, and critical about, about the reading, but not to the point where they say something is just, uh, just awful, you know, and their, their criticism is just un, not unabashed criticism. It's purposeful. And what it does, it's taught me as well in terms of looking at my own writing and, and looking at the work of, of other people to say, well, there's gotta be something good here. When you think about, uh, about a publisher, you know, putting out a book, whether it's poetry, short stories, or a novel or nonfiction, you know, somebody has seen the quality in the writing or the quality in the author's uh, uh, subject matter, right? To say, this book might sell, it might sell a few books, it might sell a lot of books. But to say something is absolutely horrible, why did anyone ever think about publishing that, you know, you know, unless it's someone who self publishes, where there may have been, you know, a, a certain narrow focus to why the book was coming out, I would think that it's it's been through a number of hands you know so there has to be something good there so i say look at you know at, at the criticism of a book you know try to be critical of the book with a sense that there's got to be something positive as well too. you. May, there may be some negatives there, but but try to accentuate the positive. I, I, I think it's fair to the author, fair to, uh, you know, the publisher, but fair to other readers as well, too, because you don't want to lambaste somebody's work because that just may be you, you know? And if you're doing that and you want to be honest about it, it's like writing a, a Dunning email to somebody in business. You don't write that email because you're angry right off the spot. You sort of don't, don't put their their name and the address line, put it aside, sleep on it and think the next day, do I really want to send that? And you'd be surprised, you know, you'll, you'll change your thinking. The same thing goes, I think, with criticism, we have to be very, very careful.
2: Yeah, we definitely love to send love to editors. And so speaking of that, let's chat about the editorial process for, for this for your new book so Mm -hmm. it's arranged into several sections Mm -hmm. and so what was the thinking behind that was it was it an editorial suggestion or did you really have an idea of how the structure might
3: look well last spring uh i'd say 98 percent of the poems were sent to i sent it over to marty just as one manuscript and and marty has a knack for looking at at something and saying I got an idea that I want someone to look at it, and, and what he did with this this manuscript, he sent it with Bruce Meyer and Barry, and Bruce uh, was the poet laureate of Barry, and uh, one of the most prolific writers uh, I know. He has well over sixty books, uh, you know, uh, poetry, essays, uh, short stories, uh, Toast Soldiers, his recent collection of short stories, absolutely marvelous. Anyway, so Bruce took a look at this, and 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 he actually uh, took the manuscript. Uh, took out a few poems that he thought didn't fit, you know, with, with this volume, and then set up the various sec- sections, you know, based on, on, on the titles of some of the poems. So when I got this back after sending, you know, several months after sending Marty the uh, the manuscript, I got this back, I'm looking at this and I go, wow, a book emerged. It was first a manuscript, now it's a book. And I couldn't, and, and then Bruce said, are you okay with this? I said, okay, are you kidding me? I, I saw it in a different way now that I wouldn't have seen it because you're too close to it. You know, you, you have to let someone else take a look at it. And again, it's part of that editorial process. And I really and truly recommend to uh, to, to young writers, old, old writers, old old guys like me but and ladies, but, but also young writers, especially starting out, don't be afraid to have someone take a look at that and say, why don't you do it this way? This is, you know, take this recommendation if you want. You don't have to. But the recommendations you sometimes get from a third party it's just amazing you know it, it, and then and then bruce like i said wait and i and i acknowledged him of course you know for his what he did in this book and and i was so pleased with the way it turned out uh, like happier than than happy uh because he took the time and effort to do something really special and i thank marty for even suggesting it so one of the sections
0: is set completely in Croatia. I believe it's Jadranka. Did I say that properly?
3: It's actually pronounced uh, Jadranka. So I should have probably Jadranka. put the pronunciation, you know, you know, uh, you know, italics below it, but I didn't. But that's uh, Jadranka. Yes.
0: Jadranka. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so how did you uh, negotiate that same sort of local feel in that mm-hmm. section as you did to the ones that were set here in Windsor? How did you make oh. everything feel so close to you?
3: Well, that, that's interesting. Thank you for, for pointing that out. I, I never thought about it from that perspective, but uh, first of all, Yadranka, the initial poem in that section, uh, it's, it's a poem about my late sister, and, uh, and we were very close. She was, she was 13 years older than me. She came here along with my mother, uh, uh, after, you know, following my, my father, who came here uh, you know, five years uh, before them. They were separated a total of 10 years um, long, lovely story about that that i won 't get into at into this point, but it was a wonderful time of healing for them. And my sister basically raised me like a second mother, so I was very, very close to her while my parents worked odd shifts and that sort of thing. Uh, she would watch watch me take care of me and my mother allowed her to to uh, bring friends over. They used to spin records and i and I uh, fell in love with you know Fabian and paul anka and and uh, and Elvis Presley and then of course the Beatles later on. And, uh, and then AM radio, she taught me all about the big eight, and I got into Motown and everything. I mean, it was a great time to grow up in the 60s. The music was so rich, and then the early 70s, of course. So I, I'm actually pleased that he chose that poem, you know, to, to start off that section. But Yadranka also is uh, an offshoot of, the name is Adrian in in uh, in. Uh, of course, in English, but Yadranka Yadrane, which is the Adriatic Sea. And so those poems about Croatia and, and the trip that we had made, uh, you know, a few years ago, uh, and uh, and some of the, the places that I talk about in those poems, you know, arise out of that journey back to Croatia. Now, I've been back a few times. As I said, I was born here, Canadian or Croatian descent, but, but you know, you go there, everybody has a sense of feeling and belonging when they go to, you know, an area where they're, where they where they you know the, their origins you know are you know their DNA basically you know started or be you know or or was blended, however you know back in the day as far as that goes and and uh, and my father was from northern Croatia, which is very, very beautiful, but my mother is from um, um, uh, southern Croatia along the coast Almatia and uh, and they always talk about the pearls of the Adriatic Bisa de Jadrana. Is, is the expression and and the, when you see the the glimmer of light on the sea it's, it's so captivating you go oh my god is this the most beautiful place on earth well maybe not to other people but you know every place is beautiful in its own right but but it really you know draws a lot for me there so when you say there's a bit of a local flavor there is like you know i, I get a sense of that when i'm there that i feel like i'm home even though it's not really home you know, but you have a sense that, yeah, there's a certain belonging here. And then you walk around, you go to the cemetery and you see the names of your relatives and things like that, too. And you run into people who look very much like your relatives as well, too. You know, and people who start, you know, asking you about your background. When, when you meet somebody, they say, uh, uh, which in Croatian means, well, who do you belong to? And I thought that's an interesting way to 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 reflect on somebody, not who are you, but who do you belong to? It's a sense of community. So, so from that perspective, uh, I, I, get a lot out of that.
1: By day you're a practicing lawyer. The poems higher ground and dead judges touch on a legacy of a legal profession. How do you combine your lawyer life with your poetry? Do you find that you have to keep them separate?
3: Oh, I think they're both, uh, when, when you say, do I keep them separate? I really can't keep them separate because for me, uh, life is, is a uh, multi-lane highway. Um, you know, there's, there's the art, there's the practice of law, there's the raising of family and it's all going in the same direction uh, with uh, various, uh, exit points where you have to, you know, leave and get a little bit of respite, you know, one from the other and that sort of thing. But when it comes to the practice of law and poetry, I, I've always said, I've been lucky in that. I can use what I've learned from, from practicing as a lawyer, as an advocate, um, the, to, to get ideas, to get insights on people, on humanity, to understand how people you know, uh, you know, interrelate uh, understanding, you know, you know, uh, like bullying behavior, what's that all about? And I've written, you know, poems about uh, various curmudgeons in my life <laughs> in the past. Some of them have, have gone, gone to print, others haven't, but you know, everybody has a story. Everybody has, has, uh, something, uh, offer in terms of the, uh, the, uh, um, the inspiration for, for the work that I, that I'd like to write. Um, you're, you're almost thinking about it. You know, you always think about images. You always think about turns of phrases and you hear people, you see something in a letter where somebody writes something. And I thought, well, that's a good, you know, phrase that can be used part of a longer sentence in a poem. And I've, and I've turned words around that I've heard from other people to, to use in that. So everything's inspiration. So, so I, I, I've never been one of those people as much as I enjoy my practice. I enjoy, what I, what I do I mean I went into into this profession primarily because I am a people person uh, I was actually headed in, in another way I was headed toward journalism school to write about the law but I fell in love with workplaces and started doing employment law and the rest is history but but i got to tell you that that uh, i've never looked back on on being able to balance you know that work and the the you know that interest you know with the notion of uh, of being a writer i spent 10 years actually editing a law magazine called caveat for our, for our law association and i I wrote uh, uh, an editorial piece every month called Notes from the Middle Ground where I actually made fun of lawyers including myself because if you don't if you don't look at it from the perspective of a little bit of you know self-deprecation and sort of keep yourself grounded then you're in trouble. I was never one of those people that said, you know, I want to just talk about law all the time. I know some colleagues um, uh, who I wouldn't who I'm friendly with but uh, but not necessarily friends <laughs> my father taught me he says be friendly with everyone make few friends it's good advice uh but he uh, you know they would talk about law all the time they talk about cases that that happened you know you know 15 years ago over and over and over ago at the same cocktail party it's like if you talk to golfers and they remember their shots from five years ago i mean really like can we not move on <laughs> but uh, but that's okay that's them I'll give them their leeway, but that's just not me. And, and the legal profession has been very good to me, but it's only just part of who I am. Just part of him. I learned a long time ago from someone who said that when you go to a cocktail party, never, never answer the the, the, the question of "What do you do?" by saying "What you do for a living." So I'll often go there. They'll say, say like, "What do you do?" And I said, "Well, I'm a you know part time uh, soccer coach. I've done some community theater. I do a little bit of writing. You know, I'm." married to a lovely woman, I have three uh, children, oh, I have, uh, uh, I'm a a lawyer, uh, you know, and a poet, you know, so just, you know, bring it down a notch, you know, just, just, that's not who the real you are, that's not the essence of who you are, so.
2: Well, speaking of being friendly, many of your poems are addressed to another in the second person, Mm someone struggling with a cell phone, a couple is celebrating an anniversary, what is it about these poetic conversations that inspire you?
3: Well, I mean, uh, the, uh, the, the cell phone poem I can say is, is, uh, is, is kind of a homage to my wife, my dear wife, <laughs> who is one of the smartest people that I know and a wonderful professional in her own right. She's a, a charter accountant soon to retire. Um, but, uh, she, uh, uh, we, 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 the joke is how she struggles with technology. And that was, that's why smart poem serenade, the poem in the book, you know, came out, Uh, But there's other other things, for example, a poem to my my in-laws, you know, who will be celebrating their 66th wedding anniversary in uh, May, which is uh, quite remarkable Um, uh, and about how they, you know, take care of each other. And uh, and uh, it's a poem that I, I wrote for their anniversary, for their 60th anniversary, and it made its way into this book with a little a couple of slight revisions. Uh, but it was read at the time. And uh, it just amazes me, it amazes me, you know, in terms of, of the interaction with, between people. So I'd like to reference people. And I referenced, uh, for example, a, a cousin of mine who passed away, uh, my cousin closest in age, uh, you know, who I, I saw a few times over the many, many years, uh, loved him dearly yeah. and was saddened by his uh, sudden passing uh, to cancer. It was very, very quick. Uh, and, uh, and, and, but recalling what happened to us way back when when we, when we nearly drowned together. <laughs> and that's what the poem's about, uh, Slip Rock Serenade. Uh, but uh, so, so I'd like to acknowledge these people where I feel there's a need to in a way of, of saying thank you. You know, it, these are poems of gratitude as well, too, because they teach me something. Uh, they are people uh, who, uh, as, as even the lesson may be very, very brief, it, it's something that stays with you, you know, the lesson doesn't have to be a long one, but the lesson is staying in your heart for a long time is what really matters, you know, it, it, the fact that it's indelibly etched in your heart and soul. Uh, and uh, I keep thinking there's a lot of room down there because there's a lot more lessons, you know, to be learned, but, but I, I do want to acknowledge these people and give them the gratitude and thanks and what they've, what they've, you know, shared uh, you know with me over the years.
0: So what are you writing now? What's the next project?
3: Well, I've been I've been dabbling with short stories and uh, I've got I've got more notes on things that I want to write than actual uh, writing them. And uh, I've got uh, uh, a couple that are near done. one that's that's completed. And I'm reason- realizing that short stories are, are like uh, like poetry. They take lots of editing. Uh, the, the first long one I wrote, uh, I realized that it, it had eight rewrites and I thought, OK, you know, you get it. You understand what it's all about. Uh, you know that, that 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 you have to really work at it. If you think, you know, it, it's it's right or it's near, close to what I think may may be, you know, uh, perfect in my mind. Certainly not perfect in terms of the world's mind, but something that that I can sort of live with. But even then, I keep see, seeing changes. Uh, I've written some uh, some plays in the past. I'm working on a, on a third uh, in a series of um, rotary plays. Uh, the two of them. Uh, one I wrote for the, uh, for the uh, centennial of my Rotary Club, which was performed at the uh, 100th anniversary of our, of, of, uh, uh, of our club. And one that I would written uh, at the time of Rotary's the centennial, and there's a third one. It's, it's, a, it's a one-hander that I'm working on now. Uh, and uh, so, which I, I'm hoping uh, as a trilogy, just basically to give to Rotary and let everybody just perform it where they want to, you know, to, to send the message of what, what uh, uh, the Rotarian ideal is all about. And so I've got some other ideas for, for some plays that I want to write, too. So as I'm clawing back from my law practice, and yeah, at some point in time, you know, you have to give this up because uh, it's time to make room for young people. That's my, my theory. And uh, I'm going to try to spend more time working with those other um, uh, uh, yeah, artistic endeavors. But I'm still going to continue to write poetry. And there's always... Poems going on. I'm working already on a, on, on another uh, another collection. Uh, it may take me another year, year and a half to finish, but I'm no rush. Uh, to me, it's not a not a race. It's a, it's a journey. And uh, I always admire the people who are extraordinarily prolific and they have lots of books, but uh, I do it in my own time, my own way and how I want to do it. And, and everybody has to do it with their own comfort level. You know, we all read at, at different, you know, you know uh, uh, levels as well, too. Some people are, 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 are fast readers. Uh, I tend to be a little bit of a slower reader, but I like to absorb, you know, pages. And sometimes I, I'll, I'll go back and reread, you know, a couple of paragraphs if I really like something. And that, I figured it took the writer a long time to, uh, to uh, write it you know, it should take me a fair amount of time to, to read it and enjoy it, right? So it's like everything. Just keep it simple and, and, and honest and uh, and to see where it takes you.
1: Well, would you like to read some of
3: your work for our listeners? I would enjoy uh, the opportunity. And thank you for asking me. I, I'd like to read that poem that I mentioned about my in-laws because it's one that, that uh, I keep going back to. A lot because uh, they are very important uh, in my life. Uh, and um, uh, as I said at, my, my, at their anniversary, um, it's ironic that the mother in law, who I love dearly, I've known more as a mother than my own mother uh, because my wife and I started dating when we were 16. So that's when I first met Teresa. And uh, all these years later, uh, you know, she survived long past the passing of my own mother. And, uh, and she's every, much, every bit a mother to me as, as my own mother was. And uh, she's, uh, she's uh, just a wonderful, wonderful lady. And uh, it's called Hands. Hands. For Blaise and Teresa Maye on their 60th wedding anniversary. They hold hands, husband and wife, lover and friend. They hold hands with aged curved fingers that mesh knowingly. They hold hands by habit and experience like drawing a breath. His hands rolled paint, swung milk cartons from a truck, push-broomed classrooms clean. Her hands cooked and baked and canned and baked and shopped and baked. His hands built houses, tool sheds, porch swings and tin can airplanes by the dozens. Her hands worked, sewed, and organized, wrote letters and cards, healed, held, and loved. His hands made ice rinks in season and tended brilliant gardens filled with flowers he'd hand-cut and give to her. Her hands always accepted his gifts. Her hands held him close as they danced a lifetime. They continue to hold hands, as in their youth, now using hands to steady each other, they hold hands inseparable in devotion, letting go only to fold in silent prayer. And we hold hands to emulate their simple life lesson that together we are stronger and should never let go.
2: Thank you, Peter Hasek. That was lovely. And uh, all the best with your new book. This is coming out. Thank you for spending
3: you. time with us today. I really appreciate the opportunity. Blessings to all. Thank you. Bye now.
1: Thanks for joining us. Look for more episodes of All Right in Sin City wherever you listen to podcasts or check out our website, allrightinsincity.com. For information and announcements of new podcasts, sign up to our email list or follow us on Facebook and Twitter.